Good morning, Grace Bible Fellowship. Um, it's great to be back with you this morning. As you know, obviously I was away last week and uh, was able to preach at Grace Life Church, which was uh, a real blessing. You know, I, I like opportunities to to go and preach elsewhere, and I, I feel like we as a, a church can kind of have a little bit of a broader influence when when you send me off for a week to go somewhere and and preach. And uh, I think it's pretty neat if our church can be a, a blessing to other churches in Canada, but I, I really like being here and just kind of being with you, studying kind of week after week and and preaching the word to you. Um, I think it's especially great if we can help Grace Life right now. And to, I was able to pass along your love for them, and they were greatly encouraged. I told them that I think most of you kind of know more what's going on with Grace Life than I do often, and, and uh, I appreciate that. And so I was able to pass on how much you uh, you love them, and and I want you guys to know that they really appreciate you, and they really appreciate that you kind of allow me to have some freedom at this time to help them and minister to them. And uh, and they're very thankful for the way that, that you've been so gracious in, in doing that and kind of freeing me up to, to minister to them and help them as they're trying to figure out week in and week out what, what they're going to do. So uh, with that, I just want to thank Rob and Will for preaching for me Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, and Good Friday. I just really appreciate your guys' ministry and just feel like you guys do a great job when I'm gone. So thank you. Thank you for that. Um, yeah, you know, I had the privilege of, of preaching the last sermon in the building, at least as of now, since the lockdown at, at Grace Life. And as you guys know, the RCMP and the health services showed up on Wednesday morning of this last week and they put two layers of fence up. And uh, they blacked out the one fa- the the one layer of fence, and they kind of closed in the facility. And then since then, they've put up a third layer of fence because apparently there was a a, a bit of a, a um what do they call it a tent tent city? There we go, tent city on the on the property there. And so they they kind of put up a third layer of fence. Um, Pastor of mine and a friend of mine in Vermilion received calls from Alberta Health Services this week as well, and it seems likely that the police are going to show up there this Sunday. And it just kind of seems like this is 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 happening all across the country. Churches across the country who are committed to remain open are facing threats of being shut down. And uh, I don't know how you guys are feeling. I know we have a, a great level of of freedom in Lacrete that a, a lot of other people aren't experiencing. It's it's really something right now to go to the city. You know, even even the kids are are wearing masks like in the open outside. And you you know, Jody asked one of the kids, "Why are you wearing a mask outside in the open, fresh air?" And he said he didn't even know. <laughs> he he had no idea what he was doing, but. But it, it's these are difficult days, really, for all of us, and and we need strength and encouragement. And so, I, I I'm bringing a message here that I preached at Grace Life last week that I just wanted to bring for you guys as well. And uh, this is a, a text that really just over and over in my mind last week. It just seems like something that we need. Uh, it's it's something to encourage and strengthen us. It also kind of. This passage that we're going to look at touches on some of the issues that are so critical for the church right now. And so we're going to go to Ephesians 1, verses 15 to 23. But we're especially going to focus on verse 19 and 20. 
I called this message the power that raised Christ and you. The power that raised Christ and you. And I think what we need right now is to be reminded of the omnipotence of God. That God is an almighty God. That He is all-powerful. That's what omnipotence means. That He has all power. Power belongs to Him. Our God is all-powerful. And for Him, nothing is hard. Nothing is difficult. That's an amazing thought. Nothing is difficult for God. Whatever He does, He does with ease. No matter how many people restrain Him or try to resist His work, everything that God does, He does with ease. And whatever God does, He does for His glory. Whatever He does, He does to display His character. And so He reveals His glory in all of His works. And one element of God's glory is His power, His strength, His might. And His mighty power was particularly displayed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Which we're going to see in this text. But, but what's so amazing about the, the text that we're going to look at is that God's power in raising the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead is actually used in this passage as an illustration of the surpassing greatness of God's power in the Christian's life, in our lives. The same power that raised Christ from the dead also courses through your spiritual veins if you have been united to Jesus Christ. The Gospel is the power of God to salvation. If you And if you've believed that Gospel and been saved through Jesus Christ, that power has worked and is working in your life. And so to see this, I want you to turn, and maybe especially on this little sheet here, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. And again, this is from the Legacy Standard Bible. I, it's a, a, a new update of the new, of the American, North, the New American Standard Bible. So it's kind of an update of the NASB. And, uh, very well done. But, uh, let's read it here. It says, For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the full knowledge of Him, so that you, the eyes of your heart having been enlightened, will know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of the might of His strength, which He worked in Christ by raising Him from the dead and seating Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He put all things in subjection under His feet and gave Him as head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. Now, I, I want to focus on verses 19, really to, to 23, 
But we can't really just jump into the middle of Paul's prayer. This section that we read, this verses 15 to 23 of Ephesians 1, it's actually one long sentence in both the, the Greek text and in most, most English translations. It's, it's one long sentence. And so we're going to divide this sentence, we're going to divide this prayer into three sections. First, we'll see what I'm going to call the petition introduced. And I'm just going to kind of hit the highlights of verses 15 to 18 and show what Paul is praying for and show why he's praying what he's praying. Then secondly, we'll look at the the power described. And I'm going to unpack verses 19, uh, just, just really just verse 19, and I'm mostly going to focus on the meaning of the words there. And then we're going to come back and look at verse 19 again later. But look, look at it right now. Ephesians 1.19, and what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of the might of His strength? And so second, we'll see the power described in verse 19. And then third, we're going to see that power, that power towards us who believe, and, and we'll see that power illustrated in verses 20 to 23. And then once we've seen all that, we'll come back to verse 19 and we'll call it the power directed. And we'll focus on the fact that, that this power that Paul describes and that Paul illustrates is towards us who believe. And that'll be our fourth point and our conclusion, the power directed. And so again, the, the petition introduced just kind of quickly as we can in verses to cover verses 15 to 18. Then the power described in verse 19. Then the power illustrated in verses 20 to 23. And then the power directed in conclusion. We'll see what is this power that God has directed towards us who believe. And what I'm hoping our time in the Word will do this morning is that it will remind us of the power of God in our salvation. And it will remind us of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and His place over every authority. He is exalted above all authority, everything that in heaven and earth. He is the head of the church. And so this view of Christ and of our salvation, I hope it will strengthen us and it will encourage our resolve to stand for Christ and for His church no matter what happens in this world. And so let's get into this this morning. Let's look at number one then, the petition introduced again in verses 15 to 18. In verse 15, Paul says, for this reason, I too. Now, whatever this reason is, and we'll get to that in a moment, it it makes Paul in verse 16 to not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of the Ephesians in his prayers. He's, He's praying for them for this reason. Paul had heard in verse 15 of their faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints. He had heard a a report that signaled to him that they were genuine believers. Now for this reason points back to verses 3 to 14 of chapter 1 which is again another really long sentence in the book of Ephesians. And so Paul says, for this reason, and the reason is verses 3 to 14 of chapter 1. And in those verses, Paul lays out the spiritual blessings of the believer. So if you look at Ephesians 1 and verse 3, Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And so we could ask, well, what are these spiritual blessings that God has blessed us with? Well, in verse 4, it says that He chose us. And so we see one of those blessings is election. Verse 5 mentions predestination to adoption. God chose to adopt believers into His family. Verse 7 says, redemption through His blood. How's that for a spiritual blessing? That, that God's own Son took on human flesh and spilled His blood in order to purchase us, in order to redeem us. This involved again in verse 7, the forgiveness of our sins. These are all the spiritual blessings that God has blessed us with in Christ. The forgiveness of our sins. Other spiritual blessings are wisdom into God's plan for the universe. The internal, eternal inheritance that we have in Christ. The seal of the Holy Spirit who is our guarantee or depending on your translation, our pledge that God, that what God has promised us, He will fulfill. That what God had started, He will bring to completion in Christ. And all of these things, all of these spiritual blessings, they moved Paul to pray for the Ephesians. And so Paul thinks kind of something like this. He thinks God has blessed these people with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So I'll pray that they might know and experience these things. God has blessed these people with richness. I want them to know that richness and to kind of like make a withdrawal from that bank account that's that's in heaven for them. And so Paul gives thanks for them. He's thankful for what God has already done in their lives. And he prays because he knows that what God has done in their salvation, he will complete. Now look at what Paul prays then in verse 17. This is the, the one request that he makes in this section. This is, this is his, his ultimate prayer request here. Everything else that he says after this only kind of flows out of this one request. Verse 17, look at it. It says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. The request is that the Father would give the Spirit. And the, the idea here is that this is the Holy Spirit. The, the Spirit is called the Spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Now Paul knows that the Ephesians have the Holy Spirit already. He just talked about that in verses 13 and 14. They were, they were, they were sealed with the Spirit and they were, who is the, then the guarantee. He's the pledge of their inheritance. But it's the Holy Spirit. He's the one who gives us wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. And so Paul is praying that the Father would give the Holy Spirit in such a way that the Ephesians would know God better. You see, knowing God is absolutely critical. I don't think I could overstate the importance of, of knowing our God. The whole goal and aim of Christianity is to bring sinners into a relational knowledge with God. Into a relational kind of intimacy with God. Jesus put it this way in John 17 verse 3, this is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. 
See, we will spend eternity delighting in our knowledge of God and Jesus Christ. And Paul is praying that the Ephesians would have more of this knowledge, that they would grow in this knowledge now in this kind of relational knowledge of God that affects and changes and transforms every part of our lives. Now, one of the ways that we get to know God is by seeing his works. It's really the same that it works with a friend of yours, right? You have a friend, you, how do you know them? Well, you, you see what they do, right? You see what they're like. You, you get to know them that way. And we get to know God through looking and observing his works, what he has done. See, God reveals himself to us through his works. And it's especially in this work of salvation that God shows us who he is. And so Paul is recognizing here, and and you need to kind of stay with me thinking here, but Paul is recognizing this connection between knowing God and understanding salvation. And this connection between knowing God and and knowing salvation, it, it works both ways. It works two ways. When we see God saving sinners through Jesus Christ, God is on display and we can get to know Him through it, right? When you think about salvation, you see all the characteristics of God, you see His grace, you see His mercy, you see His love, you see His justice and His holiness, and all of God is on display in the the work of saving sinners. And so as we understand salvation, we get to see the greatness and the, the power and the glory of God. But it works the other way too. When when we know God... And when we look at Him, we can, we can look the other way and we can see how great His work of salvation is, right? When we understand God's power and His holiness and His justice, we can, we can see, um, how great a salvation such a God would work when He saves people. And it's this kind of second way that Paul is praying for here. He's, he wants the Ephesians and he wants us to have wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God, and the result of that knowledge then is going to be a greater understanding of our salvation. And we need to understand our salvation so that we can live our salvation to the glory of God. And so the result of knowing God from verse 17 is that they're going to know three things about their salvation. Look at the second half of verse 18. It says there, uh, well, I'll just start in verse 18. It says, so that, and then it says, the eyes of your heart having been enlightened. We're just going to kind of skip over that for a minute here. So that, so I, I'm praying that the Spirit would give you wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of God so that you will know, number one, what is the hope of His calling? Number two, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints? And number three, what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of the might of his strength? Now, those three results, the hope of his calling, the riches of his inheritance, and the surpassing greatness of power, those three results should flow from them knowing God in answer to Paul's prayer. Now, can you see that with me? Are you, are you with me still? Give me a nod of encouragement or something. Okay, good stuff. So three, three things that Paul wants them to know. And, and those three things, those, those three what are, what is statements are all tied to salvation. 
They're all tied to salvation. The, the hope of his calling is really just another way to say the hope of salvation. The riches of the glory of his inheritance refers to God's amazing inheritance in the saints which he purchased through the blood of Jesus Christ. And the third one leads us into our next point. But let me just say a word about verse 18. We kind of skipped over that one little part there. The eyes of your heart having been enlightened. And that's kind of the the best translation of that right there. The eyes of your heart having been enlightened. Now what's Paul saying there? This is just another way for Paul to say that the Ephesians are true believers. He had heard of their faith in the Lord Jesus and their love for the saints, and so he prayed this prayer. And he has confidence to pray such a bold prayer because God has already removed the spiritual blinders from their eyes. The eyes of their heart having been, this is a past tense, the eyes of their heart has been, have been enlightened. And so Paul says there's, you've already had your eyes enlightened in your salvation. And so now I'm going to pray that you would come to know God in greater ways that the Spirit would come and give you wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God so that you can really understand your salvation. They already know God, and Paul is praying that they would come to know Him more. And so that was the petition then introduced. Paul is praying because he heard about their faith, he heard about their love, he knows they're true believers. He's praying that the Holy Spirit, who is a, a, a Spirit who gives wisdom and understanding and the knowledge of God, that God would give them the Spirit in such a way that they would know Him more so that they could understand and know their salvation in greater ways. That's the petition introduced. And so now number two, let's look at the power described. Verse 19 is the third result that Paul is hoping for in answer to his prayer. But Paul kind of takes this third thing and he sticks to it through the rest of chapter 1 and even into chapter 2. This is the third result. Look at verse 19 again. And what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of the might of His strength? Now, verse 19 is one of the most amazing verses in all of Scripture. In this text, there are four words for power. There is power. There is the word working. The working which He worked, kind of going into verse 20 a little bit. The working which He worked the might, and then strength. And notice that it is His power. This is God's power. This is omnipotent power that Paul is talking about. Paul is praying that they would know His power, that they would know God's power. And the power of God is so great that Paul exhausts the dictionary trying to describe it. Let's look at the words there. The first one translated power in most English Bibles looks at ability. It's usually translated power or strength or capability. This power is the ability to accomplish something. This power is then according to the working. According to means that the power accords with or or corresponds with something. The power corresponds with, look at verse 19 again, the working of the might of His strength which He worked in Christ by raising Him from the dead. 
The power towards us who believe corresponds with the working that He worked when He raised Christ from the dead. Wow, that is amazing. This power goes along with it's the same kind of power that rose Christ from the dead. This is the power towards you who believe. But it's not just the working which He worked. It's the working of the might of His strength which He worked. And actually, if you were like a a beginning Greek student and you were just kind of learning the language, you would actually translate this because you wouldn't know the, the complexity of this, you would, you would translate it like this. What is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the power of the power of His? Did you get that? This is the, the power of the power of the power of God that is working towards us who believe. But even before Paul tells us about the power of the power of the power that is working that raised Christ from the dead, he uses two words to describe and tell us that this power is beyond what human words can even describe. You know, God's saving power is infinite because there's no limits to God's strength. And the first word that Paul uses to describe this is surpassing. Or some translations have immeasurable or exceeding. What is the exceeding or immeasurable or surpassing greatness of His power? That word there, surpassing, means to go beyond or to outdo. And so the power of God is kind of beyond power, if you can think about it that way. It's beyond power. And so if you just think about the greatest power that you can think of, And now go beyond that. That's kind of the idea of what Paul's talking about here. Think of the greatest power now a little further, a little bit beyond, a little outdo what you just thought of. That's the power of God that he's talking about. This surpassingly... No, sorry, the next word that, that describes power is translated greatness. The surpassing or the immeasurable or the exceeding greatness of power. And this word greatness means to exceed a standard of excellence. And so think of the best power that you can think of. And now recognize that God's power is better than that. That's kind of the idea here. The best power. This, this power is better on a standard of excellence and it's beyond on a, on a standard of measure. And so the surpassing or this surpassingly great power that accords with the working of the strength of God's might that He worked when He raised Christ from the dead, is, look at this, it is toward us who believe. And so if you believe in Christ, and you are alive with Him, if you are born again, if you are regenerated, in other words, if you are a true believer, this power is working and has worked in your life. Now we'll come back to this in a bit, but first we need to see this power illustrated in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you're taking notes, then number three, the power illustrated. Look at verses 20 to 23. I'm going to read again, starting at verse 19, about halfway through there. According to the working of the might of His strength, which he worked in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion 
and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now what amazes me about this text is that this high Christology, this kind of lofty thinking about the Lord Jesus Christ is actually an illustration of God's power toward us who believe. Now I can't say everything that I'd like to about these verses. I'm only going to hit the highlights today. But whenever you see something here, just kind of getting us started off, whenever you see something like the working which he worked, this is a way of emphasizing something. And so actually look at Ephesians 2 and verse, look at verse 4, Ephesians 2 and verse 4. We have a similar kind of construction there. Ephesians 2, 4 says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. See that? There's the, the love with which he loved us. That's kind of an emphasis on God's love. He's rich in mercy and he has this love with which he loved us. In, in our text, we have the working which he worked. And it's a way of emphasizing again, this here is a great work that God has done in raising Christ from the dead. God took Jesus Christ, his son, and he worked an incredible, mighty work of strength, or he worked a, a work of strong might. This is the greatest work in all of history. God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. He worked a resurrection and he worked an exaltation. He, that is God, raised Christ and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Now I need to, to kind of stop here and just tell you something. Jesus Christ is God. And God eternally exists in three persons. All three persons share the one nature of God. And so there is one God, but three persons. The Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. God the Son, He added to Himself a human nature. He is one person, God the Son, who exists in two natures. He is fully God and He is fully human. One person, two natures. He took on this human nature to accomplish our salvation. He came to earth to act as our representative. And He lived, Jesus Christ, this person, fully God, fully man, He lived a perfect life in our place. You see, in order to have a relationship with God, we need to be righteous. We need to be holy. We need to be perfectly holy because God is perfectly holy. But the problem is we are not perfectly holy. And because we are not perfectly holy, that means we have sin that needs to be forgiven. Well, Jesus came so that our sin could be forgiven and so that we could be made righteous. He came to act as our representative. As a man, He earned for us a perfect righteousness. And as a man, He paid the penalty for our sin. Jesus died on the cross as a sacrifice to bear God's wrath for our sin. And when we trust in Jesus Christ and when we believe this good news, we are united to Jesus Christ. And it's through this union that God counts our sins as paid for and Christ's righteousness as ours. 
You see, in Christ, we are forgiven and made righteous in God's eyes. In Christ, God made a way to forgive sins while still upholding His own holy and just nature. Like we read in Romans 3, verse 26, that God could be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. And so that is why Jesus came, and that is why Jesus died. And that explains how Jesus even could die, because He died according to His human nature. According to His divine nature, it is impossible for Jesus to have died. God cannot die. God is life in and of Himself. But according to His human nature, Jesus died. But having died, He was raised from the dead and He was seated at God's right hand. And Jesus Christ is still alive today and He is still seated at the right hand of God. Look at verse 21. Far above all rule and authority, and power, and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. See, there was a humiliation of Christ. He lived on this earth and He died on the cross, but then He was exalted. And having been raised from the dead, He is seated on the throne of the universe. He is above all. He is, as the text says, far above all rule. All authority, all power, and all dominion. He is far above all of these things. And these next four words, rule, authority, power, and dominion, they can refer to both earthly and heavenly positions of authority. Jesus is above them all, whether it's things on earth or things in heaven. He is above them all. He is far above them all. All rule, all authority, all power, and all dominion. And we could actually translate it every, every one of those things. Jesus is far above them all. Jesus is above every name that is named in this age and in the age to come. Now, what is this every name that is named? Well, Jesus is far above every name. I'll just give you some kinds of examples that might be helpful as we think about this. Jesus is above the RCMP, whether they are constables or commissioners, right? Every We're thinking about what kinds of powers is Paul talking about? Well, heavenly and earthly powers. He's above the RCMP. He's above the representatives of Alberta Health. He is above, Jesus is above Dina Hinshaw, the chief medical officer of health. Jesus is above... Far above Jason Kenney, premier or any other premier of any province in any country in the world. He is above, far above the prime minister. He is far above every president, every king, every person who has any authority in this world. Jesus Christ is far above all of them, seated on the throne of the universe above every power, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. He is above Satan and all of his demons and all of the the angelic beings that are in the universe, Jesus is above them, not only now, but also into the future. That's what it means when it says those to come. If, If there was any other being that would come into being at some future time, Jesus Christ is above that being as well. And it's God's almighty power that made it so. It's God's almighty power that raised Him from the dead and seated Him in this position of authority. And then verse 22 adds, and He, again, this is God, He put all things in subjection under His feet. 
God worked and he put all things in subjection under Christ's feet. All things have been made subordinate to the Lord Jesus Christ. And this line of reasoning is right in line with what the Lord himself said in Matthew 28, Matthew 28:18, and Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to keep all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You see, Jesus has been given all authority. And this great commission, this is our mission given to us by this exalted Lord who is King of kings and Lord of lords. All things are under His feet. All authority has been given to Him. And He has now sent us to go and make disciples of all the nations, to baptize them and to teach them to keep everything that He has commanded. And He is with us in this work until the end of the age. But we have to admit at this point that we do not yet see the full exercise of this authority that has been given to the Lord. You see, there are some names that are named that are resisting the one under whose feet they are. The devil and his angels resist this great commission from our Lord. The powers on earth do not obey the Son of God, at least not consistently and always. But one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Philippians 2, 9-11 says this, quote, Therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, a day is coming when every knee will bow before this exalted Savior and every tongue will confess that He is Lord. One day soon, He will exercise the full authority of His exalted position. And that day is the day when He returns with His saints to establish His kingdom. And the only reason that this day is postponed is because God is gracious to those who resist Him and He is giving them time to repent. When the Lord Jesus Christ returns, it will be for judgment on His enemies. He will cast them into outer darkness, into the outer darkness of hell where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth and God's wrath will be poured. This, this almighty God, this all-powerful God who is, who is infinite in His power, who, for whom nothing is difficult, is going to pour the full exercise of His wrath on His enemies in hell for eternity. And so, but this, this wrath is delayed as he, as God is bringing in his elect people and saving them. And so I would just encourage you, friends, you who are here, maybe you who don't have Christ, who are unbelievers, I would warn you and encourage you and exhort you not to come to this place of torment. Don't go to hell when there is the hope of forgiveness and reconciliation through the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn away from your sins. Turn away from your hostility towards God. Turn away from your indifference towards God and come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn to Him and He will welcome you. He will forgive your sins and reconcile you you to God. 
Our mission as a church is to proclaim this message to the world and to make disciples of Jesus Christ. You see, we, and I mean by we, we believers, all true believers, we are those who have come under His authority now. Right, The rest of the world may not be under His authority, but believers, we are under His authority now and we confess Him as Lord now. We are those who are being taught to keep all that Jesus commanded us. We are those who He is with until the end of the age and we have taken His mission as our mission. We are the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are those towards whom this mighty power has worked. And according to verse 22 of our text, Ephesians 1.22, God has given Christ as head over all things to the church. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ, He is our head. He is our leader. He is our guide. He is the head of the church. He is its leader. But notice, the text doesn't say that God gave Him as head of the church. It says in verse 22, and gave him as head over all things to the church. Christ, who is head over all things, has been given to the church. And so our Lord is Lord of all. And therefore, we must allow him to have his rightful rule in the church. He is the head and we, the church, are his body. Now all of this that we've been seeing about, about God's working and raising Christ from the dead and seating Him and putting all things under His feet and giving Him as head over all things to the church, all of this was an illustration of the power toward us who believe that was described in verse 19. And so what I want to do now is I want to go back to verse 19 and I want us to consider in, in conclusion the power directed. The power directed. We've seen the prayer introduced and the power described, the power illustrated. Now finally, the power directed. Look at verse 19 again. It said, And what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of the might of His strength? And so now we need to ask, what is this power? We've seen that it's surpassing power. We've seen that it's greatness of power. It's His power, it's God's power. It's the same power that He worked when He raised Christ from the dead, so it's a life-giving power. But what does it do towards us? And why does Paul think the Ephesians need to know about it? And why does Paul pray for the Holy Spirit to come and give them wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God so that they can know this surpassing greatness of God's power towards them? And why did all, why did God want all Christians to have this prayer recorded for their benefit in Holy Scripture? Well, in chapter two, Paul begins to explain to them and then to us what this power towards us is. He's talking about Christ. He's so follow me here. He's been, he's been talking about the Lord Jesus Christ and then, and, and talking about what God has done in raising Christ from the dead and, and seating him. And, and so he's been focused on Christ. And then in chapter 2, starting at verse 1, he turns to talk about the Ephesians and their salvation. And so he says in verse 1 of chapter 2, and you, and 
you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And so we were looking at Christ and now he says, and you, and you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all also formerly conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, doing the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. You see, you were dead. You were blinded by the world. You were blinded by the desires of the flesh. You were blinded by the devil. You were a child of wrath. We all were a child of wrath with the rest of mankind. But look at verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. That's the key verse there. Made alive together with Christ. You were dead, and now you've been made alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ. You see, if you were a Christian, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, but God made you alive together with Christ. He joined you to the Lord Jesus Christ. He raised you to spiritual life by His sovereign grace. And by grace you have been saved and you are raised with Christ and you are seated with Him in that exalted position. And then later on in chapter 2, Paul says that this salvation put you into the church. And so you are united in Christ to everyone else who is in Christ. You are together one body and you are reconciled as that one body to God. And in this new body, you have access to God and you grow to be more like Christ. And so brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ, God's power has saved you. His power has raised you to spiritual life. His power has joined you to Christ. His power has seated you with Christ in this position of glory. His power then continues working in your life and it grows you to be like Christ in your day-to-day life. And this power keeps you until that day when every knee will bow. The surpassing greatness of power that raised Christ from the dead and seated Him at God's right hand also raised you and seated you with Christ. And that power keeps you, or sorry, that power That power that, that keeps Christ alive never to die again will sustain you as well. The head in heaven will not forget his own body on earth. And the one who began a good work in you will complete it or perfect it until the day of Christ. That is the power that is directed towards you. That power has saved you initially and that power continues to work in your life until God's salvation is complete. 1 Corinthians 15.58 says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Let's continue to fulfill the mission that the risen Christ has left us in Matthew 28. And I want to close with these words. Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe or to keep all that I commanded you. 
And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this amazing power that you have worked in our life. The same power that rose Christ from the dead also rose us from our spiritual blindness and death and made us alive with Christ. And that same power continues to work to sanctify us and to keep us until the day when every knee will bow. We thank you, Father, that the Lord Jesus Christ has all authority in heaven and earth. We thank you that he is seated above every name that is named, all power and dominion and rule and authority. We thank you for this exalted Christ, and we thank you for the mission that he has given us and that you have given us through him. And we pray, Father, that you would help us to be faithful to go and make disciples of all nations. Help us to be faithful to baptize them. Help us to be faithful to teach them to keep everything that the Lord Jesus Christ commanded. We thank you, Father, that you are with us, that Christ is with us until the end of the age, that your power is in us as we do this great work, Father. We pray that you would keep us strong, that you would glorify yourself through us no matter what happens in this world. And we thank you, Father, that we know that you will be with us because you have promised us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.